Today's topic is one of great debate, so let me put that little disclaimer out there. It's a topic that uh, many can explain away or justify depending on their belief on the subject. It's a topic that has caused people to honestly leave churches. And before I jump into the topic, I need to give a few disclaimers. I want to lay some groundwork. First off, this topic wasn't picked because of a Thrive campaign or the current situation. As many of you well know, we go away typically every fall. This year we did it in-house, so this topic was picked way back in September in our preaching calendar. And secondly, this isn't about me, and this certainly isn't about our church. So please keep that in mind as we look at this topic and see what Scripture has to say about it. I think we might actually be surprised what the, what the Bible has to say on this topic. Before I get too far this morning, let's invite God to meet us where we, where we are and have Him challenge us this morning. So God, just come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we just ask you to come. God, we want to be changed. That's why we come to, to listen about you, to hear about you. God, we want to leave differently than we came. We want our Sunday to impact our Monday. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Andy. If this is your first time joining us online or in person, we're so glad you are here. We are headed to the book of Deuteronomy again, if you're following along in the Bibles. If you want a Bible, they're in the back. And there's also these great journals that were designed just for you. It's got a reading plan in there. There's places you can keep uh, keep track of each week's notes and all those kinds of things. So if, if you don't have one and you want one, by all means, get up now. You won't distract me. Grab one. We're in our series called A Familiar Journey, where we've been looking at the Israelites. They find themselves on this tremendous journey with promises from God, promises of land, promises of freedom. They're, they're guided by day by a cloud and by night by a fire. They're seeing miraculous things happen, miracles of manna provided for them each and every morning. And while these things don't feel familiar to them, we don't know. But the, the first several chapters of this book of Deuteronomy really tell the historical summary of Israel's journey from Egypt and to where they are now. And this week, we're going to be hanging out in the part of Deuteronomy that starts to talk about the laws, regulations, the rules. Now remember, we talked about this last week. Moses is talking to a whole new generation of Israelites. These people didn't see what God did at the Red Sea, didn't see a lot of these huge miracles that have happened. They faced many challenges in their journey, and certainly more challenges are to come. And if they are to be successful in this new land, this promised land, they need to be familiar with all these laws and rules and regulations that God had given the Israels years before. So Moses is, is giving all this background information. And I think this is important for us, too. If we want to be successful in our own lives, we need to understand the context of these laws and rules and regulations. And again, this wasn't for a society to get along. This was to how to, to live for God, to be blessed by God. And one more point of clarity before we jump in. One of the questions we're going to have to wrestle with this morning, really the main question we're going to have to really wrestle with individually or as couples, is do we believe everything that we have is God's or not? That is going to be the, the basic question we're going to have to answer ourselves today. Do we believe everything we have is God's or not? Okay, so with all that in mind, let's jump into Moses, see what he's saying to the Israelites, and then we're going to ask some questions about it. So Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting with verse 22. He says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all the field's produce each year. Eat the tithe, a tithe means 10 or 10%, of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place he will choose at the dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if this place is too distant and, you have to, and you've been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, then exchange your tithe for silver, take the silver with you, and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. 
Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment in their inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. So this is where some of you might be thinking things like, here comes the ask for money, right? Or churches only talk about money to fund their budgets, or that was for the Old Testament, that's not for now. After all, Jesus didn't specifically say tithe. He didn't teach that, so that can't be our relevant now, right? Just quick note on that particular argument. Like anytime Jesus speaks about something in the New Testament about the Old Testament, I think you'll notice this. He always raises the bar. He never lowers it. He always raises the bar. What's the most talked about subject Jesus talked about in the New Testament? Anybody know? It's not money, actually. It's the kingdom of God. But the second most talked about thing is money. So we have to keep those things in mind as we look through what Scripture has to say. But before we jump into the arguments, I think it's really important to go back. Let's look at the, what Moses is saying to the Israelites and then go, what is he trying to say to them? And then how does that impact our lives today? So we'll start. It says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields produced each year. So a few chapters before this in Deuteronomy 12, which you'll read in your reading plan this week, God commanded his people to give 10% of their produce, their grain, their fruits, their vegetables, those types of things, as an act of worship, as an expression of gratitude for their blessing. Each year, each family went to the sanctuary with their tithes. They enjoyed the feast there and shared the, the tithes with the Levites. They're given instructions on how much food they can keep and when and where they should tithe. They're taught to tithe all the increases of their grains, and to do it year after year. And by returning this tithe regularly back to God, they know that their prosperity, everything that they have, all their blessing isn't dependent on their irrigation or some you know, advanced agricultural technique. This is being blessed by God. It's only God that provided the rain, only God's provision. Then Moses gives them a spiritual exercise to do. We read it already, but we'll read it again. It says, Eat the tithes of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and then the first of your herds and flocks in the presence of your Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Israel is instructed to take the tithe and eat it before the Lord. See, tithing is more than just like paying like club dues. That's not what this is about. Tithing is a spiritual matter more than it is a financial matter. Hundreds of years later, God would address Israel on the same issue when he said in Malachi, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, you have not kept them. Return to me, the Lord says, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, God says. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God answered in tithes and offerings. Israel's unwillingness to tithe was an indication of a much deeper problem. They had drifted from God. They, to rectify this matter, they must return to God and return their tithes back to him. God wants us and our hearts well before he wants our money. He wants our hearts before he wants the tithe. 
And by bringing the tithe, we recognize the place that God really occupies in our lives. And we understand the blessings that he is giving us. When we withhold the tithe, it isn't an affront to me or Blue Ash Community Church. It's truly an affront to God. In humbly placing our tithes before God, we honor him with the portion that he has blessed us with. It's only in that context will tithing be a spiritual exercise. Not only is tithing a spiritual exercise, it's also a learning exercise. Tithing would teach the Israelites more dependence on God. God is the supplier for the rain for their crops. That's the only way that they grow and they're abundant. Tithing would teach them the place God should occupy in each one of their lives and each one of their hearts. God represented the firstlings of the flocks, not the lastlings of the flock. And when we tithe, it also becomes a flexible exercise as well. It said, but if the place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry the tithe because of all that you have, he says, then exchange the tithe for silver. Take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you want. Cattle, sheep, wine, other fermented drink, anything you wish. And then you and your household shall eat in the presence of the Lord and rejoice. God is also considerate of our own circumstances, of his circumstances of his kids. Where laws could not be kept to the letter, practical modifications were introduced to keep the obedience from being a hardship on his kids. Some people live way too far away from the sanctuary, and it just wasn't practical to take quantities of produce and animals there so when that was the case they introduced this hey just sell it this is the way you can do this and still honor the lord with your tithe this is likely the background that we see with the money changers presence in the temple during the time of jesus they were just taking advantage of this overcharging see god is more interested in our attitude in giving than our act of giving his flexibility regarding the form of the tithe removed the most likely excuse of all the Israelites whose hearts may not have been in the right place in their lives with God. And when we tithe, it shouldn't be an act of obligation at all, ever, but an act of joy. Israel was to bring the tithe before the Lord and rejoice with their household, it said. The Apostle Paul, who writes most of the New Testament, challenges uh, the people in Corinth. He, he understands this principle and encourages them this way. He says, each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Just as the tithe is an indication of a place that God has within our hearts, the joy with which we give reflects our attitude toward God. See, when we tithe with the right attitude, when we tithe with the right heart, tithing then becomes a blessing exercise. Again, we see Paul pick up on this principle. Just a, a verse before the one we read, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. As we can see, there is a reason to tithe. But the most important reason to tithe is because God wants us to trust him. God wants us to trust him with one of the few commodities in our lives 
that we can often put our safety and security in, and that's money. And money can be an easily, can easily disguise itself as a God. We can worship it instead of the one true God. Money is also one of the leading reasons for divorce, stress, depression, pride. Jesus himself said, himself said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we can argue if the tithe is still true today. I personally believe it is. But we can say, now that was just for the Old Testament. We can find information on both sides of this argument to support whatever belief system we have. But we really need to ask ourselves two questions. We can't escape these questions about giving back from God. The first one is, do we believe that everything we have, every dollar, every dollar that goes through our hands, every dollar that goes through our bank accounts, is God's or do we think it's ours? And the second question is this, do we trust God's financial plan for our lives or do we trust our own financial plan for our lives? Too much is given, much is required. If we can't trust God with the, if we can trust God with the enormity of eternal life, like we put our trust in God in that, I think we can trust God with 10% of our finances. I mean, think about this. God has challenged us to trust him with our finances. When we sow spiritual seed by financially giving back to God into God's kingdom, as God has challenged us to do, we're better able to take care of God's people. I mean, if God's true challenge is to like trust him with our money, if God really does test us in this way, and us giving back, sowing back into the kingdom, investing in his kingdom, if that's truly his challenge, then why in the world would that investment come back void? Right? Like if he's truly saying to do this, why would he say that's, gonna, that's not going to amount to anything? Of course it's going to reap a harvest. I mean, if we're giving back to God with the right heart, if we're giving back to God with the, for the right reasons, why wouldn't God give us more to give back? It only makes sense. You've heard it said it's better to give than to receive. There is no truer place than God's kingdom. When it comes to giving, there are typically two types of givers. People who give what's left over, and then people who give off the top and live on what's left over. Now, those that give on what is left over, that doesn't mean they're greedy. It just means they're operating at that point on a different set of priorities and values. They see themselves, typically, as the one responsible for meeting their own needs. right? And they give what's left over to help God's work. Those that give off the top and live on what's ever let live on what's left over see everything as God's. They understand the principle. That includes the responsibility to meet their daily needs. They they trust God with that. This allows them then to take on the mission of stewarding God's resources in a completely different way, where generosity is the dictator. Generosity is their priority. This doesn't mean they just give carelessly. They certainly give thoughtfully. The problem with giving what, with, let's, with your leftovers is our generosity then is restricted. It can never really exceed our own, ability, our own ability to meet our own needs. And the minute there's financial uncertainty, 
when there's stresses in our finances, generosity then takes a back seat. The more our heart is occupied with the burden of meeting our own needs, the less it can be certain of God's promptings and generosity. It's just harder to move in that way. And there's always going to be a reason. There's always going to be worldly reasons not to trust God with our finances. The question truly is, do we believe all that we have is God's, and will we trust him with our finances or not? I read this story uh, a few weeks ago as I was preparing for this, and I think it does a great job of showing the weird ways that God's economy and God's finances often works. Dr. Charles Allen, a former senior pastor of First Methodist Church in Houston, tells of receiving the following letter that I'm about to read from one of his members during a campaign. It says, Dear Dr. Allen, I reply to your request to send a check. I wish to inform you that the present condition of my bank account makes it almost impossible. My shattered financial condition is due to the federal laws, state laws, county laws, corporation laws, mother-in-law, sister-in-law, and outlaws. Through these laws, I'm compelled to pay a business tax, amusement tax, head tax, school tax, gas tax, light tax, water tax, and sales tax. Even my brains are taxed. I'm required to get a business license, a dog license, not to mention a marriage license. I'm also required to contribute to every organization or society which genius of man is capable of bringing to my life. Women's relief, unemployment relief, Every hospital and charitable institution in the city, including Red Cross, Purple Cross, and the Double Cross. For my own safety, I'm required to carry life insurance, property insurance, liability insurance, burglary insurance, accident insurance, business insurance, earthquake and tornado insurance, unemployment insurance, old age insurance, and fire insurance. I'm inspected, expected, disrespected, rejected, Dejected, examined, re-examined, informed, reformed, summoned, fined, commanded, and compelled until I find an inexhaustible supply of money for every known need, desire, and hope of the human race. Simply because I refuse to donate something or the other, I am boycotted, I'm talked about, I'm lied about, I'm held up, held down, and robbed until I am ruined. I can tell you honestly that had not the unexpected happened, I could not enclose this check. The wolf that comes to many doors, the wolf represents every known challenge, every known ask, every known crisis, every known problem. The wolf that comes to so many doors nowadays just had pups in the kitchen. I sold them. Here's your money. (laughs) I mean, I think it does a great job. That's how God's economy works. You can't explain it. This is what happens when we trust him. You've heard the cliche, you can't outgive God. But this is how it works. Do we believe it's all God's or not? Will we trust God with it or not? Genuine, sacrificial giving is more than a tithe. One time, Jesus observed the offering as he watched the rich put their gifts in into the temple treasury. And then he saw this poor widow give two very small copper copper coins and he observed and he said truly I tell you this poor widow has put in more than all the others all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth but she gave out of her poverty 
She put in all that she had to live on. I know I'm a pastor, but I can't encourage you enough not to trust God with your finances. You have to do this, but pray about it. If you aren't tithing, I challenge you to tithe. We do a tithe challenge, a 90-day tithe challenge. You tithe for 90 days. You sign up for it. At the end of it, you go, I wish I wouldn't have done it. We'll just give you your money back. No questions asked. Every single cent. Trust God with your finances. Minimally, if you're not tithing, start with a percentage giving. Automate it so you don't have to think about it. Automate it. Often I get asked, well, do I give or or do I tithe on my net or my gross? My answer is always the same. What kind of harvest do you want? Right? The number one reason people don't trust in their finances is fear. Fear's not going anywhere. It's going to be a a regular landscape to anyone who wants to grow in their faith. There's always a trace of nervous energy when we stand at the edge edge of fear. And in the moment of uncertainty, when we stand at that edge, in that moment of uncertainty, we have to find the peace. We have to find the trust in God and our finances. We have to find that he is the all-knowing, all-loving God. It's only natural to feel butterflies and nervous energy. And the reality is, even when we've prepared our hearts to hear God's Holy Spirit promptings on generosity, obedience isn't always easy. I had to walk this out personally a few weeks ago. God spoke. I clearly heard it. So I thought about it. (laughs) And then I prayed about it. And I processed it with my wife. Like, what do you think? She's like, that's probably from God. You've heard me say this before. A good rule of thumb is... If it lines up with Scripture, if it's loving and you don't want to do it, that's probably God. So we decided, you know what, let's just walk down this path that we felt like God was calling us to do until we hit resistance. And then if we hit resistance, we'll stop and simply pray about it some more. Well, sadly for me, there was no resistance. Nothing to cause us even to pause. And I say sadly purposely. I was sad. I didn't want to do it. And I've mourned the personal loss of it. I knew it was right. I knew it was from God, but it didn't make it tremendously easier to do. I'm now content with the decision. I know because of that sacrifice, we are financially sowing spiritual seed that couldn't have been done without this sacrifice. I know because of this sacrifice, the spiritual seed that has been planted will produce joy. We're going to experience far more that will outweigh far more than this thing gave, ever gave me. This thing that we sacrificed was really about me and my family. But the spiritual investment that we're now going to be able to make is about a community of people, many of which we'll never meet. I'll also say this. I didn't notice this until this past Thursday when I was going over this message, reading through all of this. I failed to see how God provided pups in our own lives, just shortly after we made that sacrificial decision. God provided financially for us in several unexpected ways the past few weeks. In every person's life, God plants the question, do you trust me? Do you trust me? To trust God financially means we experience peace and contentment while we get the enjoyment of the joy and the the thrill of participating in God's financial mission to the world. Trust in our savings account and our investments 
that often leads to anxiety and anguish. And we miss out on one of life's central invitations to trust God. All those things are great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saving money or investing money. Saying no to God in the area of our finances is tantamount to telling him, God, I don't want you to be involved in any of my finances, any of my possessions, or ultimately my heart. Because just beyond the fear that's dampening our generosity awaits a harvest of joy and blessing. Past the peaks and lifeless valleys in our financial landscape, there are gentle rolling fields of gold for those who simply take the journey to trust. When we think of generosity, it's often easy to look at the size or the nobility of the cause. But Jesus measured our generosity by a radical new standard, the condition of our heart. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Giving is more than an obligation for those who call Jesus Lord and Savior. It's an exciting opportunity to lay up treasures that will last for an eternity. I want to close this morning by looking again at the words of the Apostle Paul and a letter he wrote to the church in Corinth in the New Testament. Because remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplied the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out, go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We aren't asking you to give. We're asking you to trust. God is asking you to trust him with your finances, to give some of it back for the work of his kingdom. Do you believe it's God's or not? Will you trust God with your generosity and be willing to give some of it back for his work? Grab your Connect cards that Janice mentioned. I encourage you, if you've not filled out your name or anything in the front, I encourage you to do that. We're going to offer you a few next steps. And the first next steps is the most crucial next step. Maybe today is the day you accept Christ. I know this wasn't like a gospel presentation and like, I don't know if I want to trust God with my finances. I'm not sure I, I trust this God. But once you accept him as your Lord and Savior, he begins to change you from the inside out. 
And if you don't know Jesus, this message is about his faithful provision. God wants you to provide for you every need. He wants you to have an abundant life. This abundant life is not simply reflected in finances, right? It's in a life of purpose, love, and security, and a loving Heavenly Father. It's about you coming into a relationship with this same God who created everything, who provides all things. God's love isn't a pay-to-play kind of transaction. This is about knowing him, trusting him first with your life, and then everything else that flows out of that life. And today you can enter into that relationship with that kind of God who loves you, who knows you right where you are, but loves you enough not to leave you there. The second next step is trust God's financial plan, not mine, not yours. Trust in God's financial plan. Try it out. Take the tithe challenge. Start with percentage giving. See what happens. I think you'll see God show up in ways you've never seen before. I think you'll see your trust grow in him. You'll become more like he is, which is the ultimate goal. The third is receive prayer. Lots of ways you can do that. You can write your prayer request on the Connect card. Email us at prayer at blueashcc.com. Leverage the prayer wall in the back. Spend some time writing out your prayer. Others will pray for you or with you. And then, of course, you can receive prayer here in person. We'll have a prayer team in the back and a prayer team in the front. Maybe it's strength and courage to trust God. Maybe you're processing that. Maybe, maybe there's your sickness that you're dealing with. Maybe you have a big meeting coming up, a big test. Like God wants to meet you wherever you are, whatever your desires are. There's no prayer that's off limits. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. We want to partner with you in that by praying with you. And the last is our memory verse, Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Then I'm going to receive our offering in the Connect cards. While we're doing that, if you want to grab your communion elements, and if you didn't grab them and you want to, you can certainly go to the front and grab those. You're not going to be a distraction, but we do this in remembrance of who, who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. He died a death we all deserved. He did that so we'd have this unhindered relationship with the Father. We have his spirit that lives in us when we say yes to Jesus. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in each and every one of us. That's the little nudges that we get. That's what highlights scripture when we read it. It's God's spirit. Defines all truth. Let me pray. God, thanks. Thanks for these challenging words, even for me. And God, I know the the sacrifice you asked me to give is likely not the last one. So God, thank you for for the trust you put in me to trust you. And so God, I just pray for everybody this morning, that our hearts would be a little more open to trusting you, that we take that next step of faith and whatever that looks like for each one of us individually. God, if we can trust you with our life, we can certainly trust you with every dollar you give us. So speak to us individually. 
God, I pray that you would challenge them in the way that makes sense to each and every one of them. God, come. Only do what you can do. Reveal yourself in a new, fresh way. Let us know how much you love us. In Jesus' name.